So uh, many of you uh, may have seen the slide that was up, uh, the two greatest love slides, which is known as Mary's Song. Uh, we've been doing a series, Tyler's been doing a series on the words of Christmas. And uh, Hal had that song, may have been two weeks ago, right? <coughs> uh, which impressed me because I never really thought about when Mary kissed her baby, she was kissing God. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? You all have kissed babies and hugged babies and so forth, but uh, they weren't God, even though sometimes we thought maybe they might be. But um, So I wanted you to be thinking about that on the relationship that Mary had with Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So... Um, we've got uh, the words of Christmas. Uh, the last time I filled in for Tyler, he took all the good ones and left me with kind of like Simon the Zealot. You know, a <laughs> couple of verses, that's it. And you had to kind of make do from there. But uh, this time uh, he left me with the word love. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff on that. So uh, just once again, uh, good Christmas Eve morning to all of you. We are glad that you all are here to join us on Christmas Eve when we can celebrate Christ's birth. And uh, Tyler has been preaching, as I said, a series on the words of Christmas, joy, hope, peace, and now love. I am filling in for Tyler today. Uh, I feel a little bit underdressed for this, but you're kind of challenged when you do this sort of thing. Uh, but uh, he always said people are most likely to attend church on Christmas, Right? Christmas and Easter. That's when they most likely attend church. Tyler, where are you? <laughs> after, all, after all that, but uh, seriously, uh, he and the family are uh, down at uh, beautiful Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Is there anyone else in the auditorium besides myself who's been to Tahlequah, Oklahoma? There you go. There you go. Tracy and Christy and I have been there. So that's where they are, and they're enjoying time with family, and and the kids are getting to ride horses, so they're, they're having a great time. So uh, I hope all of you uh, took the time to read those two greatest uh, uh, love slides this morning, this morning before service. Uh, because we are talking about the words of Christmas, and uh, we're talking about the word love. So before we start this lesson, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today that uh, here we are on the eve of celebrating the, the birth of your son Jesus. We're so thankful that... Uh, you are willing to send him to earth to live here as a human being, to die for us on the cross, to take our sins upon the cross, and to give us the opportunity for eternal life. We are so thankful for his willingness to sacrifice himself on our behalf. It's his name we pray. Amen. So love should be uh, the very foundation or the heart of Christian life, right? That should be what it's all about. And uh, as we are so excited about uh, opening all those Christmas gifts and so forth, uh, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that at the forefront of every one of those gifts was thinking about Christ's sacrifice for us. Not the case in our house. Probably not the case in your house. Oh, we've got to get that wrap for Jim, you know. And, and uh, gosh, uh, 
I think maybe he may have gotten me one more gift and I got him. And, and so now Susie's trying to figure out if she can get one more gift for Tim and get that all evened out. And, and gosh, what if you spent more on her gift than she spent on yours, Donnie? And, you know, all the trauma that we go through, right, and the drama at Christmas time. But yet Jesus should still be at the forefront and the center of all that. Amen. Uh, this word love that we're talking about is used pretty carelessly in our culture today. Um, and some of you will experience that when you open some of those gifts. Oh, I just love it. Oh, my. None of you ever experienced that. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. oh, how could you? <laughs> Maybe is our response. But we, we get into that. And, and in today's world, it's. Oh, we just love that. We just love we, do, we love everything today, don't we? So if we love so much, why is our world in such a mess? Because we're really not loving each other. We're really not loving each other. Uh, this word love is used so carelessly in our culture. Um, there's virtually no concern for what God means by love. This word of Christmas, love, what God really meant by that. As Paul said in Philippians, our love must be directed by knowledge and all discernment. Which simply means we shouldn't allow our life or our work to be directed or dictated by a distorted focus on love. We give gifts to our family out of love. But don't we also give gifts out of obligation? Because we know, you know, Christy's got another gift under the tree. Now, I'm not sure whether I've got three for her or two for her. And when, I don't know about you, but we set them aside and you open gifts and then someone runs out. And if you're the one that runs out first, what happens? Ember says, yeah, I know how that works. I, you know, I'm the one that runs out. You know. Well, there are three different kinds, there are three different words for love in the Greek. And many of you are familiar with these and each one means something different in scripture. The one in our society today that seems to get the most uh, focus and attention is eros, which the word erotic comes from. It's based on feelings that are me-orientated. Okay, those are me-orientated. So remember that part. That's the me part. That makes me feel good. That's the, the eros part of that love. There is uh, philia or philia, like in Philadelphia. Uh, that is shared interest that's we orientated that's the we part the brotherly love the city of brotherly love type thing and then there's agape which is a christ-centered love the agape is christian-centered and others oriented so as we go through this message today i want you to be thinking about have you spent as much time stressing over what you're giving to people you don't know in the community as you've been stressing over giving to people that you know in your family. That's the challenge we have as Christians. I know we had, we had one issue that came up with the elders this last week. We stressed over that. <laughs> we really stressed over how do we help this person and can we help this person as opposed to a different person. And we were stressing over that. And that's good stress. We should be stressing over that. How do we best help people in our community during this time? This... And looking again at those feelings of love, that Eros thing, that me orientated, it makes me feel good. It's that gift when, whoa, that's just what I wanted. 
you heard that expression? Just what I wanted. Yay, how did you know? How did you know? And then um, that conditional love, that Eros love, is kind of conditional. <coughs> because now that you've got it, what do you want next? Have you noticed when you get something, we tend to leave that behind and go on to the next thing? It's kind of like as parents, we work so hard to figure out what our kids wanted for Christmas. And Santa brought it. And there it was, under the Christmas tree. And they opened the box and took out the toy, and five minutes later, they're playing in the box. You've had that experience, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of a momentary thing. And it's also this Eros thing, this erotic love piece of making us feel good is uh, for some of you younger people, that's the thing that makes you look at the, the member of the opposite sex and go, wow. <laughs> well, you can check with Christy. Some of those wows are yet to come because she didn't think she was getting into something like this when she married me 42 years ago. So some of those wow things has got to be bigger than just that wow thing. Then we look at this brotherly love, this, this uh, filial or philia. It's a friendship. It's a kind of love that's based on shared interests, common goals, things that you enjoy doing with, with other people and uh, other personalities. And you just get along really well with people. And it's kind of a, kind of a fun thing uh, as, we look at, as we look at that. Uh, it involves giving as well as receiving in, in that particular uh, part of it. But that filial love is the one that when it really gets tough, times get tough, it's the one that can collapse. You know, the, you may have heard the phrase, you know your, who your friends are. They're the ones who are walking in when your other friends are walking out. When things get really tough, it defines who the people are that really care about you. So that filial type of love can, can uh, kind of fall apart because it's we-orientated, and as long as we are okay, it's okay. The erotic part, the eros part, as long as me is okay, it's okay. And then there's we is okay, we're okay. Well, let's look at agape, because that's the noblest word for love in the Greek language. And it's the word that God uses in Scripture for his love for us, is agape love. It's the kind of love that the Lord calls us to exercise towards others. Uh, it's a word that Paul uses in Ephesians 3 when he prays that we should be rooted and grounded in love. And it's used 320 times in the New Testament. This agape love, 320 times. Agape goes beyond passion. It goes beyond natural affection. It goes beyond um, when an object is unlovable. Um, and you, again, you get in those relationships when sometimes you're just not real lovable. Over the past week, I've discovered this several times, that I'm not real lovable. Christy will come in to do one thing for me, and just about the time she clears the room, I think of something else I need done. And then there's this, and it gets done. And then I think of something else. And then it's a deeper. Yeah, that's, that's godly love. Can you imagine how many times God sighs about our lives? As his children, when we're asking for something, and he goes, Okay. Um, agape love is not only the kind of love that sacrifices, 
but it sacrifices at great cost. We celebrate Christ's birth. What a sacrifice with his death to give up his life for people he didn't even know, for people who don't even care about him. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. So again, as we look at that, the Eros is me-orientated, Phileel is we-orientated, and Agape is others-orientated. One of the things I think we should keep in mind during this Christmas Eve is uh, love is not, or at least shouldn't be, seasonal. If you think about it, shouldn't we want to give good things to others all year long? And we do, and we do. But shouldn't the same type of love be present all year, not just at Christmas time? What would this person really like to have in their lives? I came today and we drove by Willie again. I mean, he drove by Willie. I wonder what he needs. Maybe he didn't need anything. He may be happier than we are. As long as he's got his stuff, he may be happier than we are. But do we take the time to find out? I think we should take the time to make sure that people are fed all year long. I bring this up in our men's meeting. We do our Easter baskets, we do our Thanksgiving baskets, we do our Christmas baskets. And the rest of the year, folks, I guess you're on your own. See, people are still hungry all year long. Wouldn't it be nice to feel the feeling of Christmas every day? That feeling when someone in your family says, Wow, that's exactly what I wanted. To have that feeling the day after and the day after when we give something to someone that they really, really needed. Well, here's a newsflash. <clears throat> I think we're supposed to feel that way every day, all day long as Christians. We're supposed to be giving. We're supposed to have that agape love. So I'm going to take you on a whirlwind tour. Uh, so you better brace yourselves on what agape love is all about. And I looked at the, I looked at the uh, bulletin and, and uh, the verses that, that Tyler had listed on there. I told him, I said, hey, those are in the message this morning. So we didn't collaborate on that. It just showed up. So our first stop on this tour is one of the most well-known scriptures in the New Testament. John 3.16 and 17 if you add the rest of it to it. Because we all know that for God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We know about that one. How much love would it take? How much love would it take for you to sacrifice your child for me? How much love would that take? The scriptures say, well, you know, sometimes you sacrifice your life for a good person, but, you know, I'm not sure about sacrificing my life for Wilson. He's a little shaky. And I'm darn sure not going to put one of my kids on there. You know, you're on your own, Wilson, when it comes to whether I'm going to give up my child for you. You're on your own. Christ never batted an eye on that. He decided he would do that as unlovable as we are. So how much love did it take for God to do that? I have no idea. 
it's still beyond my comprehension that Christ came to this earth and died for me. I don't know about you, but that's beyond my comprehension. I'm not worth it. But yet, he died for us. He died for us. How hard would it be for us as parents to bring a child into the world knowing that before they celebrated their 34th birthday that they were going to die for Wilson? How would you live with that? God did. God did. You know, Peter is uh, listed as, uh, as we talked about the apostles, he's the one that was kind of temperamental and, and uh, pretty impetuous many, many times. And, and Christ asked him about his agape love for Jesus. And uh, in John 21, Jesus pinned him down three times and he said, it's not just enough that Peter loved Jesus. See, sometimes as Christians we say, well, as long as we love Jesus, we're okay. Love you, Jesus. We're all right. That's not what, that's not what he said. Jesus said to Peter, he said, uh, Simon, son of John, do you, love me? <laughs> do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And the second time he says, you really love me? He says, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said, do you love me? And he said, you know, you know all things you know that I do. And he says, feed my sheep. So what does he say first? Feed the little ones. Feed the little ones first. Feed the sheep. And then he tells him a second time. But before you think about that, uh, think in terms of what it takes to care for all the sheep. To care for all the sheep. I know I've asked this question many times. How many of you have actually taken care of a flock of sheep? We understand them, don't we, Elaine? The wisdom of Christ in comparing us to sheep, folks. He was spot on. They can be the dumbest animals and can do the dumbest things. You turn them out in the pasture, they'll stop right at the edge and start eating until they've eaten it down to the bare ground where nothing will grow again but weeds. And then they'll move to the next one. If one sheep takes off and goes through a hole in the fence, guess where the rest of them go? Through the hole in the fence. They don't know where they're going, but they don't want to be left out. You ever get in that situation as a human being? Don't know where I'm headed, but everybody else is going that way, so I don't want to miss out. I better join the group. And away they go. You know, so he says... People have more needs than just food. He says, feed all of them. Don't let anyone go hungry, but take care of their needs. And you have to drench those sheep, and you have to shear those sheep, and you have to do all these things, you know, because they don't protect themselves very well from wild animals, folks. When the wolves come from the outside, guess what? Sheep just don't protect themselves well. Guess what? As Christians, we don't protect ourselves very well against Satan either. We just don't do it. So Jesus had to answer how we should love in John 15, 9. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's command and remain in His love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Now the tough part here is that we know how we should love. That unconditional love. How many of you as parents have found that your children were not perfect? It's universal. It's universal. And guess what? Those you kids, you young people haven't had kids yet, your kids aren't going to be perfect either. One of my favorite phrases to use with young parents when they say, oh, I can't believe this child. I said, heredity is a wonderful thing. <laughs> They're half of you and half of your spouse. So figure it out. A plus B equals C. That's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. But yet we love them unconditionally. We love them unconditionally. And I know that you've told your children, say, well, I told mine, there's nothing that you can do that will keep me from loving you. That's what God told us through Jesus. There is nothing that you can do that will keep me from loving you. If you accept my son, there's nothing that will separate you from me. And it's interesting, uh, <clears throat> Wikipedia, which today evidently is the definition for everything. I mean, so you've got to take their, their word as, as gospel. It says acceptance typically contains the concept of approval. In other words, if I accept you, I must approve of your behavior. Wrong. I refer you back to your own kids. You accepted your children. Did you accept all their behaviors? And here's another newsflash. My parents didn't accept all mine either. But they did love me unconditionally. Jesus pointed this concept out very clearly with the woman caught in adultery. What did he say? He said very clearly, I don't condemn you. Just don't go sin anymore. I love you unconditionally. But your behavior is not real good. Don't you come in at 11.10 anymore, Jim, because your curfew is 11 o'clock. That's still burned into my mind. Because there was one night I came in late and my mom was in her house robe with her hair and curlers. I thought it was the devil reincarnated. Because <laughs> I turned on that light and turned around and there she was. She said, you missed your curfew. I did. I did. So how great was Jesus' love for us? John 15, 13. John 15, 13. How great is His love? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are friends if you do what I command. No longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. How many of you have someone in your life that's really hard to love? Don't point your fingers at me, just raise your hand, okay? <laughs> we all have them. We all have them. But we are to love them. We don't have to accept what they do. We don't have to accept their ideas. We don't have to accept their behaviors. But we are commanded by God to love them. To love them. And Jesus said, I call you friends because I wouldn't lay down my life for just anybody. 
I lay it down for my friends. I lay it down for my friends. And again, that someone would do that for me is beyond my comprehension. We have our men and women in service every day that are willing to lay down their lives for us. And they don't even know us. They don't even know us. And here's Christ who just covers all that. Every veteran, every person that's ever fought anywhere, he laid down his life for him. Beyond my comprehension. And not just to lay down his life, but to take on our sins. Uh, I struggle that one. I'd love to take on your sins, Donnie, but I've got plenty of my own. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I can't do that. But Christ did. Christ did. Do any of you have trouble wrapping your minds around that concept of Christ sacrificing his life for us? I just, I do. So how important is love? Of these four words of Christmas, how important is love? Well, it's the biggie. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. See, it's not just an obligation, it's debt. It's a debt we owe it to everyone to love them. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever the commander may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The good news about the love of Christ is that nothing can separate us from that. Nothing. Romans 8, 35 through 39. I'm going to drop down <coughs> towards the middle of that. I'm going to pick up at 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we believe that? And why do we say, God, where are you when things get tough? Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. It is so compounded from the love that we have for our children. What would you do for your children? Anything. Everything. Nothing will separate me from my kids. And my grandkids, nothing. See, that's the same passion that this scripture is talking about. Nothing can separate us from God. When we think things are going bad, we're not separated from him. And here's a news flash for all of us. This baby Jesus, whose birth we celebrate during this Christmas season, died for us. This little baby that we keep talking about, he died for us. And that's what Romans 5, 6 through 8 is all about. He died for us. You see, at just the right time, Tim, you were talking about that in your lesson today, just at the right time, there was a census that was required for Joseph to go to Bethlehem. Just at the right time, when over 700 years earlier, it was prophesied that in Bethlehem a Savior would be born. And lo and behold, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. We didn't have to meet any special criteria. We were in the pit. We were in the gutter. And Christ died for us. So if you love Jesus and you haven't accepted him as your personal Savior and, uh, and obeyed and been obedient to him in baptism, then today would be the day to make that decision. What better time? You see, Jesus will return together his followers. Don't be left behind. Shouldn't we have the same anticipation and the eager anticipation of Christ's return as we do for his birth and the celebration of Christmas?